We celebrate that eternity begins for us the moment we enter into relationship with you. That you are a God who can be known. That we can relate to, who will relate and speak to us. And Father, we live today knowing that we don't belong here. This is not our home. We were not created for this place. Father, we were created to live eternally with you. And we praise you, Father, that you've given us a calling and a purpose while we're here on this earth, which is ultimately to, to, to know you and to love you and to love our neighbor. And we praise you, Father God, it's just the beginning, Jesus. We celebrate now what we will, as a, as a foreshadowing, what we will celebrate for eternity, our knowledge of you, Jesus. And Father, we want to know you. Jesus, you are good. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just focus on the face of Jesus. For some of you this morning, you try to see the face of Jesus, that it looks angry, condescending, produces guilt. Father, this morning I pray that you would help each person to press through that Jesus, to find the God of grace. Like the prodigal father who comes running. To his son. We could see that face this morning, Jesus. You don't celebrate sin, Father, but you do celebrate our life. You've come that we might have life to pull us out of brokenness and death and darkness to bring us to a place of hope and a place of life. This morning, help us to see that face, Jesus. The Father who pulls us from where we are to a place of wholeness. Come, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. We give this morning to you and say, Jesus, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 You guys may be seated. Well, as you're taking your seat, if you don't mind uh, taking the baskets we passed down earlier. These are for our tithes and our offerings. If you were a first-time guest, my name is Steve Hambrick, and I'm the pastor here at Vintage, and I'm not talking this morning. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm living my life in a bubble right now. As of Friday morning, I came down with vertigo. And if you've ever had vertigo, you have to have lots of empathy for me right now because I still feel like I'm in this bubble, and you're talking to me, and I'm trying to compute what you're saying, right? And I feel a little bit better than I did on first guy this morning. I was walking around like a zombie, just kind of looking around and be like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I had vertigo. Oh, right. So anyway, so that's why. So this morning I've uh, invited um, Danny Wannell uh, to come and speak. Danny is a, a good friend of mine. He's been part of Vintage for the last couple of years. Uh, he and his wife, Mary, and their two kids, Graham and um, Katie. Sorry, I, just blanked. I have vertigo. That's why I was blanked on your kid's name. So there you go. Thank you. 
And uh, so for those of you this morning who've been coming doing this to me, that's just not very nice, right? Like, hey, can you see me? Don't do that. Um, yeah. God, what's this guy doing? So anyway, so I invited Danny to come speak. And, and, and Danny this morning is going to come and, and speak, and he's going to share from his heart. Uh, but just to know, Danny, um, Danny was actually involved with the Wesley Foundation at Georgia back in the day, actually before I was, which means he's older than I am, a lot older. And um, But uh, Danny was um, – and I, if you've ever had a chance to sit down and hear Danny's story, he's not going to share much of it this morning, but what he's sharing from this morning is from his story and what God has done in his life. And so – uh, Danny is, um, I'm going to say this, and, and, and Danny is one of the smartest people that I know. Uh, and I love doing that because I get to sit down with, uh, with Danny. He just sounds really smart. But it's birthed out of this real gift that God's given him um, in the sense of processing the things of the Lord. And uh, Danny actually has a, he has a, he graduated from uh, RTS in, um, you, where was it? In Jackson, Mississippi. And um, from seminary and from an MDiv. And was it an MDiv? Something like those lines, I don't know what it was. Anyway, Danny comes and takes all of that, but breaks it down to the heart of who God is. And so this morning, I'm going to pray for Danny real quick that God would continue to speak through in the first service. Had a great time. He blessed us in a very deep way. So I'm going to pray for him, and uh, you can pray along with me that God would speak to us this morning. So, Father, we thank you for Danny. God, we thank you for his life. And, uh, God, we thank you for your story in him. And we're asking this morning, Jesus, that as he comes to share Lord, you would give him peace, and two, that you would give him the words to speak, and three, that you give us ears to hear you this morning, God. God, we want to be changed. God, we want to be changed from the wisdom of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, which Danny would be speaking from. And Lord, we pray that your word, Father, would, uh, would not go out void this, uh, this morning, but would go out and would speak life into us, God, and we'd be changed forever. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, the... Um we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes this morning. And, uh, you know, one of the funny things about the book of Ecclesiastes is that it's usually not a devotional book. Um, not a lot of worship music comes out of Ecclesiastes. It's, you know, it's just a sort of an unfamiliar book. Um, but but what, it's, what it talks about is actually very familiar to us. And, um, and we've been going here for a while. And um, I went through a process in, in my walk with the Lord where I, I lost the Lord. Uh, I mean, I felt like the circumstances of my life meant I couldn't have a relationship with God. Now, I, I don't really understand it, what I was thinking. It, 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 you know, I don't know where that came from. But I felt like as long as these things were unresolved, I was not going to be able to move forward with God. And, of course, I felt trapped and guilty and disappointed, angry, you know, and so I got stuck, and I found in this book, um, Life. And it's funny, every time I try to tell anybody, hey, it's a good book, they just kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? You mean everything I do is empty and vain, and, you know, what's the point? You know, so, so it's going to be a talk about joy this morning. No, I'm teasing a little bit. But, um, um, so let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And, uh, you know, in case I get off track, I want to give you the conclusion first. Um, I about tripped over that thing last time. So I walk and I get off track. But the conclusion is this, is that life may be empty. It may be futile. It may be vain, vanity, frustrating. But God isn't. You, more specifically, 
Our relationship with God is never, ever something that is empty, futile, and vain. And I hope by God's Spirit we get free from the confusion of the futility of our lives and our weaknesses and the complete fulfillment of our walk with the Lord. I mean, this is something that God wants us to be free from. And He wants to deal with us. And in between the services, I was trying to pray and God was pretty clear with me. I skipped a whole page in the last one. And so he wants, I feel very concerned that I need to, he gave me a word to just share with y'all what he's done in my life. So let's look at it in Ecclesiastes and um, we're in chapter 1 uh, and we're going to just, I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of verse 13. And I'm going to read out of my version because um, I got thrown off by the version on the screen last time, so I apologize. Let's see here. And I set my mind. Now, this is Solomon. He's King Solomon. He's a great king. I mean, his father was a man after God's heart. His father was also a murderer and an adulterer. So he had a few issues going on. There was a little rebellion in the kingdom. There was a lot going on back in that time. But he was the king. And he got to experience a lot of things as a king. He was in a position of power. He was in a position of of influence. He had uh, wealth. And so he got to sit back when he asked God for wisdom and see all kinds of life. It's almost like he was a world traveler through the kinds of people and the lives they lived. He knew those who were born into, you know, uh, with a silver spoon on their mouth, in their mouth. And he knew those who were born into poverty. He knew his kingdom from inside out. He grew up in it, you know, kind of like growing up in the family business. And uh, my son, we own a little family business. I'm sure he's going to be really familiar with it, you know, as he grows up. So Solomon was familiar with these things. He knew a lot of people. He had experienced a lot of things. He was constantly put in a position of responsibility for other people. You think about that. And, and, you know, some of you are in places where you feel like you're in responsibility for your family or at work or employees or partners, friends. You know, and you, you, you become pretty observant when the buck stops with you. Well, he's the king and the buck stopped with him. And I think he became very observant trying to figure things out. And so he began to read. He began, and this is what he shares. And he says, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the heaven. And it's a grievous task that God has given to us, the sons of men, to be afflicted with. And I've seen all the works that have been done under the sun. Hey, I mean, I am the king. I've been, you know, I've talked to people from other countries. You know, I get, get, you know, Obama leads a pretty good life, right? He gets to experience things that hardly anybody else ever gets to experience. I mean, and he says, hey... From what I can tell, from what I can tell, all the things that that I've seen under the sun is vanity. It's empty. It's striving. It's futile. It's frustrating. Matter of fact, what is crooked? He sounds kind of cynical. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking can't be counted. You can't even figure it out. And I said to myself, Hey, I've magnified and increased wisdom more than all those who over... Oops, I skipped a verse. And, uh, yeah, no, that's it. And all over Jerusalem before me. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. I've set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I mean, he went the gamut, right? That's what that means, from wisdom to folly. He went everywhere and he said this. Now, and I realized that even that, trying to figure it out, Trying to observe it all, 
Even that's worthless and emptiness. What's the point? That's what he's saying. And then he says, Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and through increasing knowledge, increasing pain. So, this is our joyful verse for the morning. Um, you know, Steve's been talking about getting stuck. And, and I was stuck a long time. And I got stuck by the futility of life. By, by, by things that were crooked and I couldn't get them straight. Things that were out of place that couldn't get back aligned. And so I, I began to get overwhelmed by this over time, not all at once. It was a creeping disease of getting stuck. And finally I got to a place where I couldn't move any forward and I got confused between the place of being stuck and my relationship with God. And so um, one of the things that's, that's happening to Solomon as he's dealing with this is he says, hey, he goes right on, he, you know, we know the... This side of Ecclesiastes, he did everything, right? He said, I don't get it, so I'm going to maximize pleasure. And he was in a place where he could maximize pleasure. And, and sometimes in our lives, that's how we deal with, you know, life's a beach, right? So, you know, uh, you know go, to the, go swimming, I guess, is the other part of that bumper sticker. You know, you try to make the best of it, right? You try to enjoy the good moments that you have. And you're kind of a pleasure seeker. And there's a lot of good ways to seek pleasure. It's not all the, the bad ways. You're just looking for something that's good. Maybe it's hiking, canoeing, you know, whatever. It didn't have to all be the, the stuff that comes to someone's mind like mine, you know. But, but he was a maximum pleasure guy. And then, um, so he seeks all that. And, of course, he says it's empty. Now, for me, as I got stru- struggled with life and the things that I felt like were thrown my way, um, is that um, I began to get kind of, you know, I'm not like Solomon. I mean, that's kind of obnoxious. That's, that's obviously what Christians don't do. That's obviously what someone who's in love with the Lord doesn't do. So what did, what did I do? I said, well, let me just minimize the pain. Let me just, I don't want everything. I just, I found out through my pain, I really just wanted one thing. There was one thing I was looking for, and it was good. It wasn't a secret sin. It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, something in my closet. I've got a closet and I've got sins. But, but the thing that I, I wanted to get out of life, because I thought, you know, if I could just get this out of this relationship, and mine was a relationship thing. If I could get this thing out of this relationship, then I can endure anything else that life throws at me. And I thought this was a good thing. It was almost like, you know, the Bible for me was a, was a Christmas tree of wonderful ornaments and presents. And I, and, I, and I didn't want to be greedy. I just wanted one, one present on Christmas morning. I just wanted one good thing from God. And I kind of, I just wanted it. And I, and I felt like if I didn't get that, then, then I couldn't be me. There's something, I had to give up who I was. So I got pretty focused on this thing. And it can be a couple of things. It can be, you know, whatever it is. So I got focused on this good thing. And when I didn't get it, I began to get stuck. I began to spiral down. And I began to realize that, um, that, that life is empty. Life is frustrating. Because my whole life was being determined by the lack of this good thing, the loss of this good thing, 
the lack of hope that it will ever happen, that it was a good thing. And I got confused because, you know, God is good. God is good. But I didn't get this good thing. And, and I think this good thing came straight out of a Bible verse about family. So, so God is good. Here's a great thing about the family. And it wasn't happening. And so I, I, I couldn't quite fill the gap between the goodness of God and this lack of good in my life. Matter of fact, the number one way that people will absolutely try to challenge God is they say, why do bad things happen? <laughs> you know, I have come to the place where I'm like, I'm just glad good things happen. You know, so, um, but, so, but what are, what are we trying to get? You know, Solomon was trying to maximize pleasure. I was trying to minimize pain. I just wanted one good thing, and I could deal with life. And, and it becomes like a fantasy. You become idealistic about it. You'll reinforce that good thing. You know, it's, not, it's, it's obvious to give up our sins, but sometimes it's really difficult to give up our goodness. You know, there's no bigger insulation between me and Jesus than my goodness. I know how He deals with my sin. Thank the Lord. But my goodness is confusing. And it's harder for me to give that up because God's got something good for me and I don't know if it's good. There's a little competition between me and Him. A little argument. So, so what I was trying to do was minimize it. But why? Why did this happen? Why did I create a fantasy about this good thing? Why did I embellish it and build it up and make it so important that I could barely function in life if I didn't get this thing? It dominated my thoughts at work. It dominated my thoughts with my family. You know, you poke me and I'm going to tell you my story. Walter was in my life transformation group and let me tell you, they heard it for two years. I was stuck. And they heard it over and over and over again. So, that's what was going on. I know why it was going on because I made it too important, whatever that is. Hang with me. Hang with me. It became like an idol. You know, idols are actually things that we perceive to be good. Not that. The, the tricky idol is the one that we think is good. But it supplants, it takes the place of God Himself. That's the difference, right, between religion and a relationship. When you do good and no one sees it, you're happy because it's between you and God. But when something good doesn't happen and doesn't get recognized and doesn't get the attention, it doesn't get the award, you don't get the result for it, it doesn't work out, well, you get angry. You do get angry. You know, it's natural for people like us to get angry when things don't work out. So it begins to expose our relationship with God. The lack of this good thing, and yet He's good, and I'm getting frustrated. So, in Ecclesiastes 9, he goes on and, and shares a point where he... I really like this. I mean, this is just odd to me, and so, of course, I like the odd. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, he says in verse 11, And I saw again under the sun that the race is not to the swift... The battle's not to the warrior, neither is the bread to the wise, or, or wealth to the discerning, or favor to the men of ability. For time and chance, take them all. Take them over. Time and chance. You can be just on top of the world, and time and chance will take you over. Moreover, verse 12, man does not know his time. 
like fish caught in a net, birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared to an evil time, at an evil time, when it suddenly falls on them. Evil falls upon us suddenly, like carpet taken right out from underneath our feet. It is a left hook that you did not see coming. It's a sucker punch, and it will make you lose your breath. You know it will. It'll, it'll rock you. And it rocks your walk with the Lord. And it rocks your relationship with other people. And it says when he sees this, that, that uh, verse 13, And I came to see wisdom. I, realize what I just said. You're going to get taken advantage of by evil. That's what he just said. That's what he, he's, he's observant. And then he says... And I came to see wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. It impressed me. Why would he be impressed when someone gets defeated by evil? When someone loses. When someone loses something good, when someone gets something bad. Why would he be impressed with that? You know, um, when bad things happen, and we're going to come back to why he's impressed with that, um, we, we have three responses. And this is kind of where we get stuck. Something happens. We weren't really prepared for it, and we get stuck. Three responses. Some people stuff it. Some of us just stuff it. You know what? And I call it anger delayed. I'm not going to react to it right now. Everything's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Look, I, hey, I'm stronger than this. I'm smarter than this. I'm faster than this. You know, I can handle this. I've handled this before. You know, or... We may use other ways of stuffing it. We may use other ways to put it off. This pain, this, this temptation, this trial, this difficulty, this loss of love, this loss of companionship, this loss of, of joy, this loss of recognition, this loss of the presence of God in your life. And you're going to stuff it. You say, well, you know, it's kind of impolite to, to be upset with God. I am a Christian, you know, but I'm really upset with Him. And because uh, he hadn't really been that good a friend to me. I mean, that's what you're thinking. It, it doesn't mean you're being sacrilegious. You're just trying, you know, the first half of all the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, 85% of them are a complaint about he's in conflict. He wants his enemies taken down. He wants to be lifted up. He, he doesn't have what he ha- wants. He, he's discouraged. He, he doesn't know where his help's going to come from. I mean, read the Psalms. From this great murder adulterer who had a heart after God's, uh, you know, um, Moses was a murderer. The two great men of the Old Testament were murderers. It's born out of hate. It's born out of anger. It's born out of frustration because something's crooked. You can't make it straight. And we get stuck in this, and some of us stuff it and put it off. And the problem is it's bigger than you, and it's going to come back. And when you stuff it, you get resentful because people around you don't appreciate that you're stuffing it. They don't appreciate it. They're like, you know, thank you for not just blowing up on me. Did you see that guy blows up? I didn't blow up. But there's no appreciation. And then you get lonely, you get isolated, and, and you begin to wonder, is it worth it? You know, you get suspicious of people because they can't see that you're stuffing it and you've got a brave face. So some of us stuff it when we get stuck. Some of us get spiteful. Actually, that's not really the word. Some of us say, stick it. 
we get reckless. You know what? We get reckless. That's it. Done it now. We're going to deal with this my way. You know, and it may be something that's, you know, you can name it. I don't, y'all, you, my story is just my story. You have your stories. But you know how some, you either deal with someone who is reckless and they're spiteful and they're saying stick it, or you're dealing with everything you can not to lose it and haul off and do something completely reckless at work, at home, by yourself, in a church. You know, sometimes I really want to just interrupt Steve in the middle of a sermon. That'd be really reckless. And so, uh, so some of us, we tell people, we say, stick it. And then some of us just stop. Some of us just shut down. We get numb. You've, you've been here a long time. No one's really... I mean, you can talk about it. It's not a secret. You know, it's not stuffed in, in as if it didn't happen. Some of us shut down. And we stop. And it's so big that we, get, we, we can't handle the stubbornness of it, right? We get stubborn about it. You, you've heard everything. You've been to the counselors. You've read the verses. You've prayed. You've worshipped. And, but you're stuck. You're shut down. And you just stop. And, 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 and you want there to be a God. And you know there's a God. But you just, you're stopped. And you're stuck. And, uh, and we want to be free. And we talk about freedom. But there is a way out. That's what I found when I was stuck, stopped. What else? Mounted. You know, I felt like a mounted animal. I mean, I felt like, you know, when I got so stuck, I found out that I could still have God. I could still have Jesus. When everything else was so empty, so frustrating, so crooked it couldn't get made straight, I found a way out. God led me out. And I am just, you know, you know, I, I mean, I am just so thankful I get to have a relationship with God. Because for years, I didn't think I could have one. It didn't even matter why. It was, a, it was a good thing that actually kept me from thinking I could have a relationship with God. I mean, I, I ain't smart. I'm, I'm kind of stupid, really. I mean, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, do you understand that? <coughs> so how did, I, how, did, how did God help me? What did He do to help get me unstuck? Well, Ecclesiastes 4.4 says this. We're going to talk about why we stay stuck. We kind of know how we get stuck. We can kind of identify the pain or the pleasure, you know, or or which category we're in. But but why do we stay there? Why do we stay stuck? Why did I stay stuck? I'll speak for myself. All right. Ephesians or Ecclesiastes. Let's start with the... All right. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, I've seen that every labor, every skill is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor, and this too is striving after wind. That so much of the way we deal with life when we get stuck is influenced by the way other people deal with life. All of a sudden we become really worldly when we get stuck. And what do I mean by that? We get competitive. There's a rivalry that drives us. Because if I can't get my goodness, I'm going to do everything I can to get it. 
And that means I'm going to have selfish ambition. I'm going to step on other people's feelings, concerns, lives, ambitions, joys, sadnesses. You know, I, I used to get in competition. Who's got a worse story? Who's more messed up? I mean, you know, I wanted more attention. And so I was in rivalry with other people who were hurt. And everyone gets together, and it's just, you know, we get maybe, me, speaking for myself, we get, we actually think it's okay to complain. We actually tell ourselves, even though God says, and, and, and I'm not trying to shut us down, we'll talk about the complaint, but we, we begin to defend the fact that we can complain at other people's expense. There's a difference between sharing out of weakness and complaining, which drains the life out of other people. There's a difference. And in, in our great God and our spirit wants to fill that. Deeds of the flesh that we, most of us know about that we use in rivalry with other people because we didn't get that good thing. And so I'm envious of those who have something that's good. Or I, I'm angry I didn't get it good and I'm punishing everyone around me. And so we, the deeds of the flesh come out. And we can justify anything by this competition, by this rivalry, this drive that says, well, because life is futile, what's the point? I'm going to at least take care of myself. I'm going to at least get this for myself. Extreme version of it, just to make a point, is this lady wrote a book. um, It's called The Sociopath Next Door. That has nothing to do with my testimony. No. (laughs) So... uh, the uh, sociopath next door and um, the uh, ooh, the um, sociopath next door. Bottom line is the subtitle of it is the ruthless versus the rest of us. And we begin to fight this losing battle, and we can justify being competitive with the people we love, and it causes damage. But that's just an illustration. You know what we begin to justify? Competing with God. I'm going to compete with God for what is good. I'm going to compete with God for what is good. You know what the cure is for being in competition with other people? It's this. It says, I believe in God's way, God's truth, more than I believe in this world. Because the world has a message. It's in competition with you. I don't know if you noticed that. Whether you're playing on the football field or not, everyone else is in a competition with you. And you may not be measuring yourself against someone, but you know other people are measuring them against you and using you and exploiting you and manipulating you and trying to take advantage of you and you're getting overwhelmed and you're not so sure and you get angry about this. Why isn't God delivering me from this the way I want to be delivered from? Why does it have to mess up with my good thing that I just wanted out of this life? And and you get stuck and the way out, the way out is to believe more, to believe more in what God says about this life than what other people say about this life and then what we say about this life. Do I believe more in God than I do in this world, in its ways? Second point, do I believe more in God than I do myself? And I'm talking about the good things in myself because the way out of being stuck is called submission. It's called humility. It's called brokenness. It's called learning to just not force the hand of God, but get into, get into His hand. Crawl up into the hand of God. Don't force God. You can't manipulate Him. Your story just isn't that sad to manipulate Him. Sorry, the number one way that sociopaths manipulate people is pity. 
Listen, in that category, maybe it does speak to me. Because when you feel sorry for yourself, you can justify anything, good or bad, that you do in your life. And you will put that on other people and you're going to put it on the Lord. And we get stuck. God, why aren't this being resolved? I can't move forward. I'm stuck. Life is empty. You're good. I just wanted this good thing. And in the pattern, we stay there. We stay there stuck. So we have to learn. We don't have to learn. We have to let go and believe in God more than we do ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. Be submissive. The world says, be selfishly ambitious. Take control. It is not irresponsible to let God be in control of your life. It is not irresponsible to bless God on the day of adversity just like you do on the day of joy and celebration. We have got to learn to love adversity and suffering and the tough times. And try. Isn't that crazy, what I just said? It, does it impress you, the suffering? You know what suffering is? You know what suffering is? It is a confirmation that God is right. This world stinks. It's crooked. It can't be made straight. And heaven is unbelievable. I mean, it's just a little while, longer, till we get there. Our sufferings, our weaknesses, it is nothing to be ashamed of as believers. It's confirmation that Jesus is right. It is so good to die to this world. Why would we love this world? It is so hard. It, it murders people. It kills people. It ignores people. They're lonely. It is confirmation. Don't be stuck in your pain. Don't be stuck in your weakness. Just know it's confirmation. God is so honest. He's telling us. Do not be alarmed when you have troubles in this life. Don't be concerned. In heaven, there is a place for you. You suffer in this body. You're going to be rewarded in a body. Heaven is a physical place, a real body. You get real mind. You're, you're suffering and it's real and you, don't, you can't figure it out. But the reward is real. You're not in a cloud. You're not a mist. You're not, you don't become a spirit. You become a transformed body. And you get to experience God forever in a physical existence. Because the, we know it wages against our flesh. We know how it wages against our mind. And it gets fixed. It gets made straight. Do not put your hope in this life. Submit to God in bad and in good. Embrace Job. Embrace Ecclesiastes. Embrace these tough things. It's confirmation that God is telling you, let go of this world. You're, it's okay. Let it go. Be free. Be free from its concerns. Don't let it choke you out and kill you and wear you down. And you're stuck, you're stopped up, and you, you can't move forward. You have to say, God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you understand Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Whether my God delivers me or not, I'm not going to bow down. Listen, it's okay if you don't get delivered from everything in this life. You're going to heaven. And I don't say that cheaply. Because freedom in this life comes from knowing where you're going. Freedom comes when you can say, no matter what, how empty this life is, I didn't get what I wanted, but I still get God. 
There is no relationship between the circumstances of my life and the quality of my relationship with God. Think about that. Now, there's, there's some relationships. I mean, when we pray and submit. I'm talking about the loving relationship with God. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit with God. It's not an empty thing to follow God. There's a lot of empty things. matter of fact, Solomon says it's all empty. But in the end, he says, it's not vain, it's not vanity to follow your God. The reward will come. God is good enough. Take your goodness, whatever you want, whatever you're stuck about, and just say, just maybe God is more important. And that's tough. It feels like death. Because it is a death. It's a death. Something's being crucified. Something's being lost. But you get life. You get freedom. And and then this unbelievable thing happens. You're no longer in competition. But like Ecclesiastes says, right after he talks about competition, rivalries driving us from all this stuff, the very next verse, it's not just for weddings, it says two are better than one. As opposed to the rivalry with people, the rivalry with God over what is good in your life, stop competing with God about what is good in your life. You get companionship with God. You get companionship. And that frees you up to actually have companionship with other people. But you get Him. So, as we think about God in our lives... Listen, we all are going to be overwhelmed by a sudden evil. And the temptation is to react in the flesh, like the world, to get stuck in pain or pleasure or some combination. Um, but, But the key is to submit and let God take you into that furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into. And whether or not He shows up to deliver you or not, You're not going to bow down. You're not going to go back to your former way of living. Don't go back to the darkness. Stay in the light. I mean, there is this unbelievable truth that we have. And we should cherish it. And we have, it's tough. We have to submit to the loss and to the tough times. But they are confirmation of God's Word to us. Their confirmation of God's presence to us. Their confirmation of His love and His goodness for us. Their confirmations. Their reminders. Oh, God, this life does stink. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we just love that You love us. And it's okay when we lose. It's okay when we suffer loss. It's even okay when we die. And we just put it to rest. We just bury it. It's That thing may never happen. God, the freedom You've given to me, when I just... It, it, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. 
But it doesn't matter because I get you either way. God, you are so awesome in the ways that you deal with our hearts. The way that you show up so wise and always loving us. Lord, there's, it's true. You can handle our pain. You can make it smaller. These aren't easy things to say. But they are wonderful things to know. We bless you, Lord. Please come and speak to us. Amen. Thanks, Danny. Those of you who are new to vintage, um, we believe that God desires to, to minister to his people. They meant that God desires to speak into his people's lives. And so when we come and, and Danny shares a word like this that I believe hits many of us right where we are. We want to give God an opportunity to do what he wants to do in us. And so we always have a time at the end of, of ministry time where we have uh, teams of people who, are, who come forward. Um, and those teams, you can go ahead and come forward now. And their, their role is simply to come and to, to, to be here for you, to come alongside of you as a companion, to walk in prayer and say, God, we want to, say, to come forward and say, this is where I am. And so we give an opportunity for you. That, that's you this morning. Uh, we want you to be able to stay. We're going to go to a time of worship uh, where Justin and Allie are going to lead us. And I want to encourage you, if that is you this morning and God is speaking and stirring, then don't leave. Don't leave. Even this morning, God's just speaking to my own heart. It's about some of these things that Danny's speaking about. And so I'm going to say, take some time and just be with the Lord. But I want to encourage you to do the same thing. If you need to go this morning, then you are definitely free to go. Uh, we love you. Uh, you guys have a great week. Uh, just encourage you while you leave just to take some time this week. And we read through Ecclesiastes 4 and to read chapter 9 where he's pulled from this morning. And just read the whole thing. The whole book's great. So just kind of take some time and read through that. Um, we want to release you to do that. So, you guys, if you need to leave, have a great, great week. You need to come forward for ministry. You're more looking to do that. If you just want to stay in your chair and pray, you can do that. You guys have a great week, and we love you, and we'll see you soon.